you're not a child, we'll ask that you uh, stay in here, and you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, the reason we have been reading the Apostles' Creed is because we are preaching through the Apostles' Creed right now. The uh, Apostles' Creed was a creed that was put together early in church history. It was a means of summarizing the gospel. And so what we've been doing is just kind of making our way section by section and saying, what is the gospel? Um, and the section we're looking at today says this, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Now, in order to understand this section, we must know, <clears throat> we must know a key theme that runs throughout all of Scripture. It's the kingdom of God. God's, ki God's kingdom can be summarized in a brief way as God's people in God's place under God's rule. And if you go back to the Garden of Eden, we see a small microcosm of that all the way back in Genesis 1 and 2, where we have Adam and Eve as God's people in God's place experiencing the blessing of God's rule. But because of sin, they were removed from the garden, thus they were removed from God's kingdom. And at that moment, we see God begins to create a people who will once again live with him, but this time forever in his kingdom. So there will be never a chance that they would be removed again. As we make our way through the Old Testament, we see that Israel is a shadow of this kingdom. For example, David is a great king who conquers the enemies, expands the borders of Israel, and leads God's people into experiencing the blessing of God's rule. But what God was doing in Israel was really just this small picture, what was a shadow of a much greater reality that he was doing. You see, God's plan was never to have one nation in one small place um, of the world experiencing his blessing and his rule. But it was that God's kingdom was going to fill the entire earth and that the earth would be filled with people from all tribes, tongues, nations, and languages who would give praise to God and experience the blessing of his rule. But if that's going to happen, what does every kingdom need? A king. Every kingdom needs a king, but not just any king. If you're going to have a king that rules all nations, all tribes, all peoples, all languages, is going to represent God and his rule and bring forth his very blessing on a people, we need a righteous king, a perfect king. We need a king who would rule forever, whose rule would never come to an end. We need a, God, we need a king who would not only bring the blessings of God upon his people, but would bring the judgment upon the enemies. And this is where we're at today. We're looking at the fact that Jesus Christ has come as our perfect, eternal, righteous king, and that he's the king who has come to reign. He's the one we've needed, that we've always wanted, and that we've always been looking for. The scriptures in the Old Testament are pointing forward to not just a greater kingdom, but to the king of that kingdom. So I just want to read one scripture as we begin this morning, Isaiah 9. This is what it says in verse 6 and 7. We often read this passage around Christmas time, but it's really looking forward. This is the king of the kingdom that we need. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And so what we're looking at is that that scripture has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He comes as this king. And so what we're going to do as we make our way through this sermon, it's kind of been divided into two sections. First, we're going to look at what Jesus is doing right now as king in heaven. Secondly, we're going to look at what Jesus is going to do in the future when he returns. Uh, Now, this sermon is slightly different uh, than most of our other sermons. Usually what we do is we pick a passage and we walk through the text, verse by verse, word by word, and, and we, we come through and we understand the meaning of the text, and then we'll step back and we'll, we'll look at other parts of Scripture. This one's going to be a little bit more of a survey of just what different texts say, not only about what Christ is doing now, uh, but, but what, what is the blessing for his people, and then what is he doing in the future. And so it's a little bit differently than how we normally walk through a text. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and invite you to stand. Um, We stand here at the reading of God's Word. We're going to begin in Philippians 2. We won't stay there. We'll be in Ephesians soon and some other parts of Scripture, but uh, we're going to begin in Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, and we'll read that together. Well, I'll read that. Um, I don't know if we can do it all together (laughs) in synchrony. I don't think I'm that good. Uh, Verse 8, and being found in human form, this is Jesus, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me pray. Our Father, we come to you now. We come to you in the name of Jesus, the one who intercedes for us, the one who brings our prayers to you, that you would hear them, that you would know them, that you would answer them. And so, Lord, we have confidence as we pray. We know that you hear our prayer, and we just ask, God, give us wisdom today. Give us knowledge today. I pray that we would be filled with confidence and joy and strength as we understand that your son Jesus is the eternal righteous king who reigns right now in heaven, whose rule is going forth, who is uniting all things in him, bringing the plan of redemption to full completion to the day where he will return. God, I pray that we would see that Jesus is our king, that we are citizens in his kingdom, and that because of your spirit in us who has transformed us, has made us alive, that we now live in humble submission and obedience to Jesus, and we do that with great joy, because he is our righteous king, our holy king, who looks after us and cares for us and knows exactly what we need. So, Lord, I pray that we'd be comforted today in this word, that we'd be encouraged, and that we'd be emboldened as we go forth and we share the news of this message with others. In your name, Jesus, amen. (laughs) 
we could tag team this if you want. Um, so we're going to begin. We're going to look at the, the present work of Jesus. And so I just want to ask a question. This was a question in one of the books I was reading um, regarding the Apostles' Creed. It struck me, uh, and so I'll just ask you, how important is the line, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God? How important is that in the creed? So let me ask it this way. If that line had not been there, would you have thought something was missing? Let's just say it said, he died and he rose and he'll come again to judge the living and the dead. Would you have been okay? Would you have thought anything about that? I'm just going to venture to say, no, you wouldn't have thought anything about that. You would have thought, yep, that's totally scriptural, and it would be scriptural. And you might say, well, the fact that he rose, isn't that assuming? Maybe. But the scripture is clear that he ascended into heaven. And there's something that we need to see about that. So we're going to begin by just talking about it's because Jesus ascended that he's been given supreme rule over all creation. If you look back in our text in Philippians 8, verse 9 says that because Jesus died on the cross and rose that God has exalted him above every other name. So it's because of his death and resurrection that he's been exalted and he's been given a name above all other names. And we read in verse 10 the word so that. The word so that connect the truth that every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord because he has risen from the grave and been exalted. So, so Jesus comes and he, and he dies on the cross. He rises from the grave and he ascends to where he receives his coronation. He receives his crown and his throne that he would rule over all of creation. Now, each of these are, are really or unable to be separated in one sense. Um, if, if we remove the cross, then, then you would never have a crown. Uh, Jesus would not have the crown and the throne. So they, we need each and every piece of Jesus died, he rose, he was seen by many, and he ascended into the heavens. But it's because of his ascension that he now sits at the right hand of God, that he's exalted, and that his rule goes and the text tells us who are these people that Christ has been exalted over. Verse 10, we read it says, in heaven and on earth and under earth. So what we understand is that Jesus has been exalted over all peoples. His throne supersedes all thrones. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, God's kingdom has been inaugurated in this world. And when he ascended, he received his crown and his throne. And so what I want you to do is turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, which would be to your left, just about Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, one book to the left, and look at chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 20 through 22. It says that he, so this is God, that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what we see in verse 20 
Where is Jesus right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Now just take that into, uh, in, into remembrance. When we, when we were in the beginning of the creed and we looked at the Father and when we look at Jesus, we said that there is this Trinitarian shape to the creed where it talks about God the Father, God the Son, and next week is God the Holy Spirit. And we see that they're co-equal, co-eternal. And we see it here, the Son sits on the throne with the Father. They share in this equality. There's not one who is greater than the other. And in verse 21, we see that Jesus is seated far above all rule and authority and dominion and above every name. Well, what what does that sound like? Philippians 2, right? He's been exalted, where? Above every name in heaven and on earth and under earth. And here we have that he's been exalted far above all authority, dominion, and name. So he's including, Paul is here, all spiritual powers and all physical powers. He's including all realms of creation. And how long will Jesus' reign last? Verse 21, not only in this age, but also the one to come. And so what, what Paul is saying is, is this is the present age, and the next age is, is when Jesus returns again and ushers in the new heavens and new earth that we will live with him forever in his physical presence. So he's basically saying now and forever. That's how long Jesus will reign as king, which means Jesus will never cease to be king. Now in the Old Testament, the, one of the problems was, like we'd have a good king like David, but what happens? He dies. And then we'd have another king, and Solomon did good for a while, and of course he didn't do good. And then we see that all the kings ultimately fail. But one of the problems is, is they continue to die. So we need a king whose throne will never end, who will never have another king. We need a righteous king, a perfect king, who will perfectly lead God's people into following God. And this is who Jesus is. Now remember, the king... When we talked about the kingdom of God as God's people in God's place under God's rule. So the king brings about the blessings of God's rule to his people. And this is what we see here in verses 22 and 23. We see Jesus as the head of the church. It says the church is his body. The church is God's people. People made up of all tribes and tongues and nations and languages. But what does it mean when it says that the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all well you could say well the church fills jesus that doesn't seem to make sense especially since colossians 2 we're told that uh jesus is the has the fullness of god within them and that he fills the church so most likely paul is saying that that jesus is the one who fills all and is in all and he's the one filling the church and what does he do he fills us with the very glory of of God. You see, Jesus is not like other kings. He's not corrupted by supreme power. He doesn't use his power to oppress people, but rather he showers blessings on them. If you go back just a page to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it'll say that in Christ we have been blessed with every single spiritual blessing. You see, Jesus gives his people, the church, all the blessings in heaven. So what we have is Jesus is king, 
bringing forth the very blessings of God's rule right now upon God's people. And of course, we know that we'll experience them even in a more rich way, in a fuller manner, when we actually are in the very presence of God in the new heavens and new earth. In Ephesians 2, 6, we read that right now, we are seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. We're given all spiritual blessings. And because God, because Jesus fills the church with his glory, he brings us spiritually with him now on his very throne that we would share in his glory and his blessings now. See, most kings and presidents and rulers, they're surrounded by bodyguards, they have servicemen, so you can't really get too close to them, can you? You could try, probably wouldn't work out really well for you, would it? You just imagine, just running up to the president, hey, probably be shot. Um, it's hard to get close to powerful people here on earth. But what we have here in scripture is a God who rules over everything, whose power is far greater than the greatest king here on earth. And yet he brings us right into his presence and sits us with him on his throne. He shares all of his blessings with us. In fact, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, if you remember, that's the letter to Laodicea. And he says, to those who conquer, meaning to those who are Christians, who persevere, who continue to, to be faithful, he says, I will bring you and you will sit on the throne with me as I sit with the Father. So, through this king that we have in scripture, he brings us for all of eternity that we would dwell with him on his throne, giving us, sharing with us all of his glory. So what we have is Jesus, because of his ascension, he's right now at the right hand of God. He has all rule, all power, all dominion. He's on his throne, his, his rule goes forth. And he blesses the church. And so what I want us to do is, is just look a little bit about what he's doing on this throne. What does it look like that he's pouring forth his blessings on the church? And so we'll, we'll just take a few points. These are going to be kind of more broad brushstrokes. We're not going to dig into each one. But I just want us to see what the king of all creation is doing right now. What is Jesus doing. So our next point is because Jesus ascended, he is uniting all things in him. You're still in Ephesians. You go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. And I encourage you, go back later and just read verses 3 through 14. It's this beautiful picture of the gospel about what the Father does, what the Son is doing, and what the Spirit is doing. But in Ephesians 1, 10, it says this. In fact, it says, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so what it's saying is that Jesus right now is carrying forth his plan to unite all things within himself. And then it talks about there'll be things in heaven and things on earth. So we're not going to be able to look at all of that. We're just going to be looking at things on earth right now. Um, but what we have is that Jesus is uniting all things in him. So, so what is that? What, what is happening? Well, if God's kingdom is going to be filled 
with people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every language, the gospel must go forth to the nations. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we read that as the gospel goes forth, it takes Jews and Gentiles and it unites them in him as one new person called Christian. And so what the gospel does here on earth, it unites people into Christ, that no longer we'd necessarily be Jew or Gentile, but that we'd be a new creation. We would be Christian. And the word Gentile, what it really means is just someone other than Jew, not a Jew. So the way the New Testament often categorizes people, you're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. And what we have is the gospel goes out to both Jews and Gentiles and would form a new person in Christ. So that is what is going forward. That is the plan of God's redemption right now. Jesus on his throne is commissioning his church to go forth to proclaim the gospel that, that people on earth would be united to him, coming under his rule, joyfully and willfully submitting to Jesus as king and Lord because they received him and have a forgiveness of sins. This is, this is what we do as the church. We proclaim the truth. Jesus Christ came and died for our sins, rose from the grave, conquering sin and death, rules as our cosmic king. And Jesus, through us, invites people to repent from their sins, to turn from their rebellious lifestyles, to trust in him and experience the very blessing of God's rule. Jesus' plan to unite people is through the church going forth. So if you ask, well, how is it that Jesus is uniting people? How is this plan of redemption going forth? He gives his spirit to believers, to the church, that we'd be equipped and empowered and encouraged to go forth and proclaim the good news of Jesus. Now I just want you to think, what happens if we don't know this? What happens if we don't realize that Jesus is uniting all things and he does it through his church? What if we forget that he's the king who sends out the citizens of his kingdom to proclaim the good news of the kingdom? Well, what happens is we begin to read scripture and we read the commands more like they're suggestions. And we go, hmm, that's a good idea. People should go tell other people about Jesus. And we, we see that Christianity often becomes more of a get-out-of-jail-free card rather than becoming one who has been transformed, entering into the kingdom of God, that we would now live an entirely different way. And you can see that, right? We can see that that characterizes a lot of Western Europe, a lot of Canada, a lot of America, where you have people, and by name they say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. We talk about, well, how do you live? What is the fruit of your life? Not that we're saved by our works, but... Because Christ is in us, there's fruit. So we go, well, what's happening? Oh, well, you know, I, I don't really do much. I don't really read the Bible. I go to church when it's convenient. How does that take place? It takes place when we don't understand that Jesus is our king. And he's uniting all things in him. And he sends forth the church to accomplish this purpose. One thing I've, I've been reminded of lately is that people love their country. Americans love America, Right? We love America. When, when I was in uh, Lebanon last year, 
Syrians had come over and were, were teaching the gospel. And one thing they said regularly was, man, we love Syria. We don't want to leave Syria. We want to go into Syria. We want all of Syria to be saved. They loved Syria. The Lebanese, they loved Lebanon. When we were in Thailand, man, the Thai people, they loved Thailand. They want to see Thailand grow. They want to see, um, see the gospel go forth. They love their country. They love their people. Indians, they, they loved India while we were there. And they, they have no desire, even in the persecution, even when it's 120 degrees, they have no desire to leave. They love their land. They know that God has placed them there, and they're saying, man, we want to be here, and we want to see God do good things here. Haitians love Haiti. They're not wanting to leave. We're the guy in Canada. What you, we have running water, electricity. We want to leave that, go back to often where we come from, to see the gospel go forth. There's something built in us that we love our origins. Now think about this. All these nations, all these countries are going to one day pass away though, right? None of them are going to last. Our message is about a kingdom so much better than any other kingdom. Because we're bringing forth the message of a kingdom that will never end that our citizenship will last forever, that our king will be on his throne forever, and that's not a scary thought going, man, he's going to be like a dictator forever, we can't ever get rid of this guy, but he's good, he's benevolent, he's compassionate, he's merciful, he's holy, and he's just, and he's the king who rules forever, bringing forth the blessings of his rule on his people. That's the message we have. So if we're excited about America or whatever country we may come from, how much greater should we be filled with excitement and zeal to spread the good news of the kingdom of God which we are citizens of now that's what Paul says in Philippians 3 our citizenship is in heaven meaning it's with God right now isn't that good news what isn't that good news like you guys are normally like really good at least giving like three responses like, think about that. Isn't that true? We love talking about our places. We like talking about our houses, where we come from, our cars, like all those kind of things. And all of that passes away. We have the message of a kingdom that never passes. Now, you might say, but it's hard being a Christian. In fact, last week, when we were looking at especially India and what Christians are going through there, there's a ton of persecution that takes place there. There are Christians who are regularly being killed. There's great hostility there. And so we might sometimes go, but it's hard being a Christian. How am I supposed to persevere? How am I supposed to stand firm and, and proclaim the message of this kingdom when we see that the kingdoms of this world do not want the kingdom of God, right? That's a good question, isn't it? How do we stand for him? How do we go forth? Next point, because Jesus ascended, he is interceding for us to the Father. Think about this. How do you know you will persevere in your faith? How do you know? How do you know that you can stand firm against those who persecute you? How do you know you will continue to be made more like Jesus? How do you know that one day God will not look at you when he returns and says, mm, change my mind about you. That's just not going to work out. How do, you, how do you know? 
Romans 8, 33, 34. I think these ones are up on the screen. Maybe. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? So, so you get the, who's going to call you guilty? Who's going to condemn you? Who's going to say you're not a part of God's kingdom? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God. And what's he doing? Who indeed is what? Interceding for us. Here's Jesus right now, because of his ascension, is on the throne with the Father. And what's he doing? He's interceding for you and for me. He's declaring that you and I are righteous to the Father. So the reason you and I can be assured of our salvation is because of our King. The one who conquered death, the one who purchased us from our sins, is continually at the right hand of the Father declaring you innocent, righteous, holy. You are a child of God. The reason we believe our salvation is secure is not ultimately because of our actions, is not ultimately because of our obedience, but it's ultimately the grounds of our assurance is on our king who intercedes for us, guaranteeing our justification. That's why we have hope. This is why we're confident we'll live forever with Jesus in his kingdom. This is the good news. That Christ Jesus saves us, brings us into his kingdom, not so we'd be like, man, I, I hope I make it. I hope I do well. I hope he still likes me. But we're given the guarantee in Scripture. We've been made his child, adopted, given citizenship. His Spirit's within us as the seal of our redemption. And now we know that our King knows every single citizen, every single child in the kingdom, and he declares us innocent. Do you know that? Right now, Jesus, at the Father's side, declares, if you've received Jesus, that you are innocent and righteous and adopted. Isn't that good news? And this isn't some vague, like, the church is good, God. No, he's interceding for us, for you, for me. He knows us. Our God is personal. To think you can lose your salvation is ultimately to doubt the authority and power and the intercession of our king. You just think through that. We're talking ultimate grounds of our salvation here. From the basis of our king who intercedes for us. And that is what he does right now. What else is he doing? Because Jesus ascended, he is preparing a place for us with him forever. This one's fun. I was reading this one. I was like, this is just cool. Uh, John 14, verse 2 and 3. It says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So what's, what's another reason? Why is it necessary for Jesus to leave and do a sin? What's he doing? Preparing a place. What is this, like one word answers? Like it sentences, people. Preparing a place for us. Now, is it, is it because he's making you a lake home? Is it because you're going to have the home, on the, mount, the, the home on the mountain? It's a cool view. 
You know, like, that's often how it's been portrayed, right? Like, I'm going to have a home in heaven. It's going to be awesome. As if it's like my home. And it's way cooler than your home. And, and your home is over there. You know, we all got like 20 acres and it's cool. No, but, but what does it say? The Father's house has many rooms. So what house are we living in? So it's not about us. It's not about me and my place. It's about the fact that we live with the Father. Now, but what's the point of the preparation? Look at the last line there. That where I am, you may be also. What's the purpose? It's about relationship. It's about our king who showers all blessings upon us, bringing us into his kingdom, who he's been interceding for us throughout our entire time here on earth. Now he brings us forward into the new heavens and new earth that we would live apart from him? No, that we'd live with him, enjoying him for all of creation. I hope you see Jesus' ascension. It's not a trivial matter. It's because he's ascended that he's the supreme cosmic king with all rule and a power. It's because of his ascension, he's uniting all things in himself, that the church is going forth, the gospel is spreading. It's because he's ascended that he's interceding for us, and he's preparing a place for us. It's because Jesus is on his throne, that we know the redemption plan is being carried out, that we know that, that Satan has been defeated, and that one day Jesus will return. That's what's happening now. That's the guarantee we have because Jesus is on the throne. So we're going to shift. So you say, that's what he's doing now, and there's more. We could look at so much more. But, but what's he doing when he returns? And this we won't be able to get all into, but we'll make a little dent. The creed says Jesus is going to come and judge the living and the dead. So what does that mean? Well, we've seen that Jesus commissions the church to go forth to spread the gospel. He's uniting all things to himself. Right now is the time for salvation. In Romans chapter 2, it says that right now, God is having mercy. He's patient, letting the gospel go forth that more and more people would hear the news and enter into the kingdom of God. Right now is a time of mercy. It's a time of repentance. But what we understand is that there is coming a day when the mission is over. The mission now Go proclaim the gospel. That has a time frame on it. When, when Christ returns and we're in the new heavens and new earth, there's no more a mission to go forth. Why? Because everyone in the new heavens and new earth will be a son and daughter of God, citizens of his kingdom, will be all image bearers proclaiming his name. So the mission that we have is on a time frame. And it's now, and there's a day when Jesus comes, and what will he do? He will judge. And no one gets to skip. Living or dead, you're going to be judged. You're going to say, well, I died. I skipped that one. Nope. He brings you before the throne. Acts 17, verse 30 and 31 says this. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all peoples everywhere to repent. So this is now. Because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed. Who do you think that is? The king. He is appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The guarantee Jesus is coming back to judge is what? That he rose from the grave. 
when we're in Thailand, there's, there's certain unforgivable sins that take place there, according to the government. One, you don't talk bad about the king. You talk bad about the king, you go to jail, or worse. Like there's, there's just no slander at all of the king. If you, if you slander, you're in jail, or worse. Now that seems a little extreme to me. But we, we understand that same principle here, right? If we undermine, if we rebel against the authorities of our government, there are consequences, right? And so there also is in God's kingdom. Now remember, what is Jesus king over? A small plot of land? In one sense, yes, all of creation. It's a small plot for him. All right, so, so Jesus isn't just over America or over geographical Israel. He's the king over all creation. Over every country, over every continent, his rule spreads to the cosmos and beyond. So to reject him, to deny him, no matter where you are, is treason and of great consequence. Now many people, Christians even, we begin to squirm when we talk about God's judgment. In our sinfulness, we don't really like judgment. We don't like accountability. Some people deny God's judgment altogether and they say there is, there is no hell. That, that's an annihilationist view. Just when you die, you die. If you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven, but other than that, you just die. That is a view. Others have promoted a universalism that just says, you know what? Our God is loving. I mean, he is just, just so loving. He doesn't want anything bad to happen to you, so there's no hell. Don't you worry. It's okay you don't love Jesus. You'll be fine. He'll take you into heaven eventually. That's called universalism. Everyone gets in. Well, Scripture denies both of those very, very clearly. What we see is that there is a punishment for all those who do not believe in Jesus Christ as king. And that punishment is described in Revelation as the lake of fire. It is forever torment. John 3.36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now notice that, the wrath of God remains on him, which means we're all born under God's wrath. The only way we're not under his wrath is by receiving Jesus Christ, is by entering into his kingdom, by believing that he has died on the cross for our sins. If we don't, we remain in wrath to experience his judgment. Now, we won't be able to get to everything else. Um, but there is a judgment because our God is holy. He doesn't sweep the sins under the rug, but he does die on the cross so that we who believe in him could be saved, that our penalty of our sins would be forgiven. And for us who are Christians, we have the guarantee that we will not experience God's wrath. But we've also been given this spirit that we can go forth now rejoicing and joyfully telling other people about the good news of our Savior. That is our mission. That is the joy we have. It's not to, to pay back. It's not to earn something. But it's out of gratitude and thanksgiving, right? He's taken us from spiritual death and given us spiritual life. And we must remember that this is the message we go forth. And so as we tell other people about Jesus, 
let us not just say he died and rose again, but let us help frame that in also the kingdom of God. That we, we reject God, we want to be our own kings. We want to determine what is right and wrong. We want to set up our own kingdoms and establish it and make sure everyone respects my kingdom. And it's because of that we're under God's wrath, and therefore God has sent his son so a better kingdom would be established, a righteous kingdom. And, his king, and the king would be Jesus, a king who has loved us by dying on the cross for us, a king who showers us with blessings, a king who, who shares with us the very glory of God and brings us onto his throne with him. And he calls us to, to enter into that kingdom. And we can do that because of the death and resurrection of his son. But if we deny that, if we reject that, we remain under the wrath of God. And for that, there is grave consequences. And it is not loving to not tell people about judgment. In fact, Dr. Franco does an amazing job. We, we can go bellies, we can go to hell with our bellies full and with great health. I mean, it's great to do those things. We ought to love the poor and help the homeless and meet physical needs. But if that's all we do, no one gets saved. The most loving thing we do is need to tell them about the gospel. But why is the good news good? Because there is bad news. We cannot stay away from the bad news. People have to know that. I would say we need to pray about how we deliver that, how we give that. But what I would also say is take confidence in the gospel. Just put it out there at times. Let people know our God saves and trust God to save. Remember, there's irresistible grace. His grace goes forth and we're just praying he will bring forward people to him. It doesn't rely upon our eloquence and upon our skill. It's about God's grace going forth. So let's share the gospel, risk friendships at times, but because there's a better kingdom, a kingdom that lasts forever. And there's a king who is inviting us at this time to come forward. And if we enter now, there is good news, but there's a day when there will no longer be a time to enter into the kingdom, where Jesus will come and there is judgment. That is what our Apostles' Creed affirms. And so what we're going to do now is, is we're going to go forward and we're going to take communion. And what we, when we take communion... We're remembering what Jesus has done. He's died on the cross for our sins. He's risen and ascended into heaven. That his kingdom has been established. And remembering also that he's coming again. So when we take communion, we're looking in the past at what Jesus has done. We're remembering right now our God rules. He intercedes for you and for me now. And he's coming again in the future. So I'm going to pray and the men will come forward. Our Father, we thank you for uh, this day. We thank you that, God, you rule. And that your son, Jesus, right now is on the throne. And we know he is interceding for every single believer. And God, we praise you for that. We are humbled by this truth. And Lord, I pray that we would be filled with the boldness knowing that Jesus, as our King, is sending us out, not empty, but with your Spirit in us, that we would go and proclaim the gospel. May we know that. May we rejoice in that. And God, may we go, and when we tremble with fear, may the confidence of your word strengthen us.
May the presence of your Spirit in us speak through us. That we would be bold. That your gospel would go forth. And more people would come to know you. And Lord, we look forward to the day of your return. Knowing that, yes, your judgment will go forth. But yet, also, Lord, we will be gathered into your presence for all of eternity. Never to be separated. Forever enjoying the blessing of your rule. In your name, Jesus, amen.